number 20. And in this, uh, in this, this reading, now it's a negative story, 1 Kings chapter 20 that you find. It's a negative story, and um, it, it plays out a, a little bit good at the end, but I'm not so much interested in the historical uh, relevance of this story as I am a principle that's found there. And so I'm just helping you out if, if you're uh, some of those that, you know, says, man, pastor, this you're not really exegeting the scripture properly. I understand that. I want to just pull a principle out, and this story, while it's negative, represents the principle so uh, so properly. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 1 that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all of his army together. Thirty-two kings were with him, and horses and chariots, and he went up and closed in Samaria and fought against it. And he sent messengers into the city to King Ahab of Israel and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your best wives and children are also mine. And the children of Israel answered and said, As you say, O Lord, uh, uh, my Lord, O King, I am yours and all that I have. And the messengers came again and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad, I sent to you, saying, Deliver to me your silver, gold, your wives, and your children. Nevertheless, I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time. They shall search your house. They shall search the houses of your servants and lay hands on whatever, they ple- uh, whatever pleases you and take it away. Again, negative sermon, or negative uh, uh, scripture. It's a dark time in Israel's history. Ahab uh, was not a king you want to, you know, follow and, and, and let your life imitate him. But there's a principle there, and I want to talk to you today about total surrender. Would you let God speak to you? Heavenly Father, we thank you today. Once again, we gather for your word. We gather for this time where your word speaks to us and we want our ears to be open and we want to be receptive. I ask that you would let your word fall on hearts that are prepared to receive it, hearts that have been tilled up, that are, are, are prepared for what you want to do in our lives. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. The, the story of Ahab is a bad one. Ahab is always connected with his wife Jezebel, and that's really all you need to know. But in this portion of Scripture, this example that I desire to pull from, I find a great spiritual truth, and we'll get there in a moment. But the reality is an enemy or, or someone uh, came against Israel. It was a king named Ben-Hadad. He had with him 32 other kings. It was a large uh, uh, army. It, it, it was ready to go, and they had already uh, come against Samaria and defeated it. Now they were coming against Israel, and they gave terms of surrender. Uh, and, and so they, they said, here's what I need. Your silver and your gold are mine. And I think at least the English Standard Version says this, and your best wives. So if you had multiple wives, we only want your good wife. We don't want the other one. We just want your best wives. Uh, but, but, you know, we want your, your wives. We want your children. We want your gold. We want your silver. And, and Ahab, and this is the negative example, Ahab acquiesces to Ben-Hadad and says, all right, 
I'll give it to you. Whatever your terms are, whatever uh, the negotiation is, I'm not going to even argue with it. I'm not going to say, well, can I at least keep my best wife? I'll give you my chip. No, I'm not going to do any of that. And then, of course, later on, Ben-Hadad comes and says, and by the way, we're just going to walk through your house and anything we like, we're going to take. It's this understanding of total surrender. And again, while I do not want to follow Ahab's acquiescing to the enemy. This is not what the sermon is all about. I, I believe that the enemy comes into our lives and he desires things and we need to be strong and we need to stand against him. But there is a statement that Ahab makes to King uh, Ben-Hadad and he says, he says this, he says um, in, in verse 4, as you say, my Lord, O King, I am yours and all that I have. Would it be our own prayer? that we could take the words that were, that were to the enemy and a, a negative example, but I wonder if we could turn to the king of kings and say that thing, my lord, O king, according to thy saying, according to all that thy require, I am thine and all that I have. Total surrender. Total surrender. If you have your Bibles, and I, I, I sure hope you do, I have been on a crusade to... If the word of God, if this Bible that we hold is his unadulterated word, I want it to be first and foremost in my life. And so turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, a story begins to play out that the more I read it and the more I look at it and the more that I study it, the more I'm aware that it fits in this understanding of what does total surrender mean. It goes like this, starting in verse 17. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a young man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If you've been around church, if you've been around preaching, if you know the word of God, you know where this story's going. It's the story of the rich young ruler. But I find it very interesting that of all the people, look through your Bible, Read it, look at it. Of all the people that knelt at the feet of Jesus, this is the only one that left unchanged. This is the only one that went away worse than when he came. Can you imagine coming into the presence of Jesus yet leaving worse than when you first knelt in front of him? The answer is simple. He did not totally surrender. He came, he was, he was willing, he was respective. He, it, nobody told him, nobody begged him, nobody made him come and kneel at the feet of Jesus. And he, he looks at him and in that respectful tone, good teacher or good rabbi or good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone, and you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to Jesus, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loving him, and said. It's very interesting when you begin to break down all that this young man said. It's a small story. It's basically from verse 17 to verse 22. It's not a, a massive tome of Scripture. But yet in it, you can recognize some of this young man's issues. 
everything should have been ripe, everything should have been perfect for this young man to kneel at the feet of Jesus and leave changed. But the first problem was he had a shallow view of salvation. The view of salvation of this young man said, as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'll be okay. As long as I can look him in the eye and say, well, I've done more good than bad, then everything will be okay. That's a shallow view of salvation. Or even his simple question, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Can I help you out? The answer is nothing. You can't do anything to inherit eternal life. There's nothing that you can do that would make God love you more or make God love you less. The answer that he started with was wrong. I can't do anything. He had a shallow view of sin. In his mind, sin was, well, I've done a few mistakes in my life. I've, I've not kept this commandment, but hey, look, on the whole, I'm a pretty good person. I've done a lot more uh, good than bad, but to see, the proper view of sin is simply this. Sin is a rebellion against God. It's a rebellion against His Word. It's more than an action. It's an attitude. And so if you have even sinned one time, you're completely out of whack with the presence of God. It's an attitude that exalts men and defies God. Look through the Bible every time you see a sin committed. You need to read that not as an action, but as an attitude. That I have exalted my own self. and I've defied God. You can't just do a couple good works and then negate the effects of sin and what it is. And the third thing he tried to do is he tried to flatter Jesus. He called him good rabbi or good master. I like the way that Jesus always tends to bring them back to his word. He brings them back to the word. He says, well, you can't call me good. There's a lot more going on than this. This young man was not coming to Jesus as the Messiah. This young man was not coming to Jesus as a, uh, uh, you know, as the Christ. He was coming to Jesus as a teacher. And custom said, you didn't call any teacher good. You didn't call any man good. Only God was good. That was the custom of that time. And so he was flattering Jesus. And Jesus said, well, no one's good except God alone. And how about we go back to God's word? Have you murdered anybody? No. Have you committed adultery? No. Have you stolen anything? Never. Have you bear a false witness to anyone? No. Have you defrauded anyone? No. Have you uh, honored your father and your mother? Yes, teacher, I've done all of these things. I'm good. I've done them all. The young man didn't see himself as a sinner. He didn't see himself as any problems, but rather he justified himself by focusing not on the sin, but focusing on all the things he's done right. If you, uh, depending on how your Bible's laid out, there's a, uh, a tag on this that will start it off. It will say the rich young man or the rich young ruler. And that usually kind of kicks off this, this portion of Scripture. And that statement, the rich young ruler, says everything you need to know. Because the answer that Jesus gave to him, he said, well, 
you lack only one thing. I want you to go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And if you do so, you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And disheartened by the saying, the young man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Look at your neighbor and say he didn't totally surrender. I mean, y'all just got to let me stop for a second. I know the Cardinals lost last night, and it's awful. And But right now, y'all going to have to help me out. I feel like I'm preaching at a funeral, okay? So the understanding is this. He was rich, and he was a ruler, and everything that Jesus asked him to do came against those two statements, rich and a ruler. For number one, go and sell all you have, give it to the poor. If you do that, you'll no longer be rich. And follow me, you'll no longer be a leader or a ruler. See how easy? Now, now let, me, let me stop. Time out. That statement does not necessarily apply to you today. But you listen to me very carefully. There's a lot of people that say, well, that's what you need to do in order to be saved. That's what you need. No, this was a, 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 a one-time statement. It was Jesus looking at that rich young ruler and speaking only to him in his situation. He may not say that to you because you already may give. You may already have that understanding of I'm not rich. I'm willing to give. So that is not a statement conditional to one's salvation except to that young ruler. Sell all you have, give to the poor. And the young man thought for a moment. In my mind, as I watch the story play out, you can see the consternation on the face of this young man. You can see that internal struggle as it begins to weigh out what would be right. Do I want to follow him? Do I want to live for him? Do I want to uh, inherit eternal life? But in doing so, I would have to give up. Or surrender my wealth. I would have to give up or surrender my position. And he could not surrender totally. And he walked away, the only person that ever knelt at the feet of Jesus. And he walked away worse than when he came. The disciple begin to react to what they had just heard and if you begin to look at verse 23 of Mark chapter 10 Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God the disciples were amazed at his words and Jesus said to them children how difficult is it to enter into the kingdom of God it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God they were exceedingly astonished and said to him then who shall be saved Jesus looked at them and said, With man it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. That statement right here of Peter in Mark chapter 10 by itself isn't much, but if I could direct your attention to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 27, I believe you can find that Peter gives a little longer uh, explanation. He says, We have given it all up. Lord, Lord, we've given it all up. What do we get or what will we have in return? Because even Peter didn't understand it here. Even Peter's own issues are seen. I'm willing to surrender if I get this in return. Peter's 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You're already quiet today. I don't want to mess you up anymore. But have you ever heard preacher preaching? And go, yes, he's not preaching about me. <laughs> he's preaching about so-and-so over there. And, and then you kind of, man, I got it going on. That's what Peter was doing. As long as Peter, as long as Jesus is preaching that rich young ruler, Peter's over there going, Amen, preach it, preach it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. He said, Look, Jesus, I've done everything you've said. I've given it all up. But I, I do have a question, Lord. What do I get in return? See, sometimes we're okay with the total surrender part as long as we get something. Others don't, don't want to totally surrender. And you know what? If I just preach that, that's a real short message. It's very simple. You better give your all to God. The old song, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. That's what it ought to be. And if you can't do that, then, then you know, if he gave his all for you, why can't we give our all for him? But the problem is with we, we come to that I will surrender to Jesus but watch what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10 and verse 29. This is after Peter says, uh, Lord, we've given up everything. What are we going to get in return? Watch Jesus' response in verse 29. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or the gospel. That's surrender. I didn't leave it so I will get something. I didn't leave it so I'll be blessed later on. I didn't leave it so I can reign in the millennial kingdom of Christ. I didn't leave all. I only left it, Lord. I surrendered to you and you alone. All to Jesus I surrender. Again, I, I, I'll come back a few times, but I take you back to, to Ahab's response to King been hey dad and again that's the enemy desiring that surrender and it's sad when we're willing to give up more to the enemy than we are to our savior I could preach a whole long time about that and I'm gonna why not I don't I don't I don't think I can come to church it's too much but you'll make time for everything else you know, I, I don't, I, hey, I need that. I'm going to have to preach about that here in a minute. That's my ending of my sermon. Yep, so if we don't get that, we don't end the sermon. I, I, I'll, uh, you know, I'll teach my kids everything else except about God. I got a whole sermon about that I'm working on. I thought I was going to preach it tonight, but God directed me, so it'll probably be next Sunday about the importance of raising our children but it's sad when you'll give everything to the enemy but you won't totally surrender to the king can you say my lord O king according to thy saying or according to thy requirement I am thine and all that I have I love the response of the three Hebrew children Daniel chapter 3 I believe it's verse 16 their response to facing the potential fiery furnace they you know how it is he, he's erected the statue everybody sing bow worship the king and everyone did when the music started playing but there standing alone are three Hebrew children and, and, and their answer is very simple 
we are not careful to answer you. We believe that God is able to deliver. And if I would stop right there, that's where a lot of us are. I'll stand up for God as long as he'll get me out of this storm. I'll, I'll, I'll stand up, I'll, I'll, I'll surrender my life to him, just, just don't let me get in that fiery furnace. But they went and took it a step further. They said, but if not, but if not, and I'm going to paraphrase, but if not, we still surrender totally and we will not bow. That's the difference between total surrender or someone that says, I'll surrender if it's Peter, his words after Pentecost in Acts chapter 3 and verse 6. Remember, Peter was the first one to say, I've given up everything. What am I going to get in return? But now, post-Pentecost, with the power of God in him, he says, I don't have any silver or gold. I haven't got any richer since I've walked with God. I, I've not gotten any wealthier since I've walked with God, but I have something now I didn't have back then. I don't have any silver or gold, but such as I have give I unto thee. I've surrendered my life. It's not for personal gain, but God, look what I've got with you. The cost of total surrender. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 9, looking at verse 57? It's amazing how many places in the Word of God, because, you know, give you insight in how I, 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 I study. In fact, Y'all know I carry this little black book around. That's what I'm writing notes in. If anybody's preaching, whatever, I want to I wanna hear it. Well, uh, by the way, a great miracle happened. I, this is my, my first notebook or one of my notebooks, and I'd lost it this year early, early in the spring. And no, I was so sick. Y'all had blessed my wife and I, sent us to because of the times. And, and man, I had filled this up because that, that was a, a whole week of getting preached to, and I got to hear somebody other than me preach. And, I was all excited, and, and I'd taken notes, and I lost it. Well, I put on this jacket that I'd put away because it's a winter jacket, and it was right there. I was so happy. I got more sermons I can preach. But I'll write something down in, in, in one of these books. I'll, I'll, I'll write a, a thought or, or, or maybe a verse, and then I'll, I'll take time. I'll go to my Bible, go to my, my study, and I'll begin to open that up. You know, what does it what does it mean to surrender? And all of the elements in the word of God of surrender. And Luke chapter 9 begin to unleash itself, or open itself rather, Luke chapter 9 and verse 57. And watch what it says. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I'll surrender. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Jesus in his infinite knowledge didn't say well come on and join he made this statement he said well the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the son of man have nowhere to lay his head I can't guarantee you a home I don't even have a tent I don't know where I'm headed now it doesn't say this but if you continue on through this paragraph the understanding is that person that said I will follow you chose to stop at that point because then the next one says to another he said follow me and that one said Lord let me first go and bury my father 
And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I'll follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You say, well, that's pretty harsh. And it does sound harsh. It wasn't that Jesus didn't want you to mourn when loved ones are lost. It's not that Jesus doesn't want you to go back and say, you know, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. It was the fact that Jesus knew their heart. And Jesus knew if they go back, they'll never come again. It's that cost of total surrender. Because surrendering always costs something. There's always terms of surrender. That's why the word of God says you got to love Jesus. you got to love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's going to cost you something to be totally surrendered. But in here, Luke chapter 9, you say, I will surrender, and then you have all these excuses. So I take you back to 1 Kings chapter 20. There in 1 Kings chapter 20, the terms of the surrender were simple. I want your silver, I want your gold, I want your wives, and I want your children. No negotiations. Usually in these terms, that's why we use the word terms, typically you'd find Ahab coming back and saying, I I don't think I can do that. You know, I'll give you my gold, I'll give you my silver, but I love my wife, I love my children, I'm not willing to give that up and they go back and forth and finally they work out the terms of the surrender but total surrender means I accept the terms no negotiations no special clauses no exceptions but simply I surrender all I could take a moment to to change perhaps the direction of this message. Obviously, the first times or the first thought that comes to my mind when we talk about surrendering our life to God is to talk about salvation, to say, I'm I'm willing to give you my sin. I'm willing to give you my problems. I don't want to live like this anymore. Whatever it takes, Lord, I will do it. There's great truth to that that I'm sure I'll come back to here in a minute. But I want you to listen to me very carefully because somewhere in my notes, in my Bible, or in my book, I've written something down. It was more personal. It's been a while since I could even say it, but it simply said this, if you're holding on to it, you haven't surrendered. Can I talk to you that you're saved, you're sanctified, you're living for God, and so you say you kind of start to tune out because pastor must be preaching a message about the sinner that needs to surrender their life, and there's truth to that, but could I talk to you for just a moment? If you're holding on to it, you haven't surrendered it. If you're still trying to work it out on your own, you haven't surrendered it. If you're still trying to do it by yourself, you haven't surrendered it. That's an issue in my life. Uh, that was going on and I desperately needed God to fix it I I needed God to interject I was praying Lord I need a miracle I need you to move I need you to do the the, the impossible and and all of that I kept praying it I kept believing it I kept doing it and then one night the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and he said Brandon have you realized that I can't do anything right now because you haven't released it I 
thought praying about it was all I needed to do. I thought just, you know, believing it and, 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 and holding on to that promise. But he said, you've got to release it. I'm asking you right now, if you're holding on to an issue, you have not surrendered it. If you're still holding on and trying to give it to God, you've not surrendered it. You have to let him be in control. How many of you have ever had uh, a surgery that required uh, 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 general anesthesia where they take you all the way out? I believe that's what general is. You got, they take you all the way out. Okay? Now, I know that there's a lot that can go wrong in a surgery. I understand that. I understand there's doctors that make mistakes and, 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 and there's a lot that happens. But, but what you do when they pop that, that, that drug into you is you are giving the doctor total control. A couple years ago, I was hunting with with your dad, Hannah, hunting with with Brother Bart Lloyd. And I had it was a, maybe the last time the Cardinals win the, were in the uh, playoffs because we got out of the tree stand. We're sitting around and we're waiting to see who's gonna, uh, you know, wh- where we're gonna go see the game or think about what's happening. And a big car accident happened in front of the house, and I took off running. Some of y'all remember, took off running. I forgot y'all have like an eight-foot ditch in the front of your house. And at night, in my big old clunky rubber boots, I fell in that eight-foot ditch, and I heard my shoulder pop. Well, we decided that the closest hospital was not one you take even your dog to, so we went all the way to Paducah. I'm hurting. I thought it was broke. It ended up being dislocated. They get us there, and, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and the doctor said, I can do this one or two ways. He said, I can... And they start getting sheets, and they, they make these big ropes with sheets, and they put one under here and one around my, my, my arm, and they said, now we're going to pull, and it's going to go back in. They said, now, now you can be a man, and, and we can do it right now. He said, but the problem is you're still in control, and you'll fight as we pull. So he said, the best way is for us to knock you out. I said, that sounds awesome. So they gave me the Michael Jackson drug, the propofol. So cool because they they said, now now start counting down to 10. I started counting down to 10. And then came to and I kept on my count because I said, I don't feel anything. I don't feel nothing. It's not working. And then later on, I finished my sentence. I didn't realize there's about 20 minutes in between that that I was out. But what happened is when I gave up control, they could yank and pull and do all that. Brother Lloyd, he was white-faced. He said, I've never seen anything like that in my life. He said, that was awful. But uh, I came back and, you know, I just picked up right where I left my conversation. I didn't know that I had lost control. But when you go to the doctor and you go under that anesthesia, you are saying to the surgeon, you have complete can you imagine if that surgeon is trying to work on you and your back seat driving? Are you, are you, are you sure you, you're going to do it that way, surgeon? Are you sure that's the, the, you know, the certain knot you want to use? I mean, have you thought about clamping this off? And, and about that time, they're going to just put you out just to get them out of their misery. The same is true with God. He wants to do some things in your life, but you're not giving him control. You're still trying to, to, to hold the wheel. You're still trying to give him instructions. You're still trying to tell him what to do. And meanwhile, he's saying, why don't you just let go and totally surrender? 
totally surrender. Matthew chapter 16, you have that statement. If any man follow, or if any man wants to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Those three statements, so true. Those three statements begin to tell us that first it's deny yourself. And the proper understanding of deny yourself is this not let me follow you or I'll live for Jesus but I want this deny yourself means it's not I but Christ it's take up his cross because I promise you it will cost you for those disciples it was very literal to take up his cross some of them died on a cross it's it's follow me completely and wholly follow him no stipulations nothing held back that's Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 Matthew chapter 25 or Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25 says this and I'm, I'm again I'm paraphrasing if you do all those things in verse 24 you will find your that's total surrender. First Kings chapter 20. It was total surrender terms. Gold, wives, children, silver. And again, I know it's a negative story, so I'm just pulling out the principle. But if you continue to read First Kings chapter 20, You'll find that Ahab had told Ben Hadad, we'll do whatever, you know, totally surrender, I accept. And then he goes and he talks to some of his advisors, and they said this. They said, no, you can't, you can't totally surrender. Maybe give him the silver, maybe some of the gold, but not this and that. And, and to be fair to the story, the prophet comes in and the word of God comes in, and they didn't surrender. And they defeated Ben Hadad, and thankful for that. But as I was reading that, I begin to think about in our in my life and in our lives that King Ahab had some advice from others that says, go ahead and surrender, but only in part. And I just wonder how many times in our life are there voices that begin to speak to us that say, it's okay if you surrender, just not completely. Go ahead and come to church. It'd be okay. Just I don't care if you clap your hands. Just don't surrender completely. Don't don't live for God on Monday like you live for God on Sunday. Just you know, go ahead, take Sunday off. Let Sunday be yours. I'll I'll give it to you, but just surrender partly. So I ask you today: Are you totally surrendered? No negotiation. No back and forth banter with the Savior. But are you totally surrendered? Have you given to him everything and then let him do with it how he pleases? There's so many examples of those that did not surrender completely. You could look at the, the story of Lot. Lot shouldn't have been where he was to start with and it got progressively worse from there. It's Genesis chapter 19. He goes and he puts his, his tent and his family in the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a close enough to see the debauchery, see the sin and 
Later on in that chapter, you find that not only is he living on the outside, but now he's living in the city. And then no longer is he living in the city. Now he's a ruler of the city and he's in the gates and he's giving advice and he's ruling and he's judging. And then, of course, God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And you have this, this pleading with God from Abraham saying, please don't destroy the city. My brother, my cousin, he's in, you know, my family, they're in the city. Please don't destroy it so God says, I'll, I'll get him out. He sends angels. Angel says, come. Lot, you know, he, he, he waffles back and forth. And the Bible says that the angels had to drag them out of the city. Said, we got to get out of the city. We got to get out of the plains. We got to go to the hills. Uh, just come and don't look back. Don't look back. And Lot said, I'm too old to climb the hill. Just let me stay in this little bitty city, Zor. And, and, and everything will be okay. And he begins to negotiate. No complete surrender, and of course his wife turns back, turned into a pillar of salt. Everything about Lot's life was negotiation. I'll do this, but not this. I'll I'll serve God, but just not this much. I'm not totally surrendered. And Lot loses his family because he never surrendered completely. Peter's one that up until the day of Pentecost, Peter was one that had never surrendered. And Peter's life was one that could have played itself out much like others ended in utter failure. It could have been another Judas that never surrendered and instead takes his time and he dies. But Peter kept walking and Peter kept searching. Peter kept surrendering until you can find the Peter after Pentecost that's understood what it takes to say all to thee, I surrender. I surrender my impetuous behavior. I surrender my, my, my pride. I surrender everything. I even surrender my faults. I surrender my failures. I surrender my mistakes. It was one that understood total surrender. And so I ask you today as you stand all across this building, are you totally surrendered?